and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Marie Kondo's popular Netflix series and best-selling book has people asking whether or not their possessions spark joy. The specific method may not be vital, but the fight for simplicity is. Lead teacher Randy Pope finishes the series The Fight with this message entitled Fighting for Simplicity, which uses selected texts. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us. I want us to uh, consider for a few minutes uh, some of our commitments. I wrote down a, a list of them that came to my mind in different categories, uh, personal commitments. We have a commitment to physical exercise. Some do and some want to, and we all think it's important to stay somewhat healthy. Uh, we have intellectual development, needing to read and understand and develop in that arena. We have spiritual growth, very important, all the disciplines of the Christian faith. Then you add to that professional or as a student, student life. It's making the right grades. It's uh, seeing the, the type of uh, earnings that are necessary to make, make ends meet for you or for a family, if you have a family. And regarding family, there's those who are wanting a family and asking, Lord, would you show me the right person? So there's dating and the thoughts that consume us about, you know, how do I meet the right person if I am to be married? And then those that are married, thinking about how do I take a, a marriage and, and, and make it better than it is? How do I take a struggling marriage and make it good? How do you do that? And then you've got parenting and all the aspects of raising children. And then you add to that many here that are dealing with aging parents. Add to that just maintenance of assets, whether it be home or car, investments, and it just goes on and on and on. Now hearing that, we just talked about somebody who might well be doing quite well in life, not having any major issues or problems. Add to that what so many are experiencing, extreme illness, disease, all kind of professional hardships, unemployment, family relationship problems, uh, dating relationship problems. Well, you add all of that together and then we ask, what is the answer to this? And so we're doing a series called The Fight. And the answer is we put up a fight. Now, we can't stop our problems, and that's not, the, that's not the goal. We can't actually take all the things that are responsibilities and whittle them down so small that we say, oh, that's very manageable. That's not a problem. But we said there are some things that we need to do in order to fight, and we use Psalm 90 to kind of press us into the idea of fighting to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom and know how do we deal with life in such a complex manner. We talked about the importance of slowing the pace down. We can't come to a slow pace, but we can slow the pace down a bit. We talked about what is that and how do you do that with all of these responsibilities that we have. This week we're talking about simplicity. I wanted to have a, a next week to be able to talk about the third piece, which was a single day's rest, keeping the Lord's day. Well, that's not going to be able to be done. We can't do that. But we are going to have available to you starting today or tomorrow, somewhere in that time frame. You can go to perimeter.org pope. And we have a, a, a book that taking uh, three messages that I've given here on the Lord's day. And we kind of have it as a first draft. If you want to read that, you could, you could read it on a PDF. 
or you can listen to the audio versions of those messages. They'll be available. But I just suggest if you really do want to number your days well, think about these three. Slower pace, simplicity, single day's rest. All critically, critically important found in God's word. Now today we're talking about this idea of simplicity. And just the mention of the word invites misunderstanding to what simplicity is. I'm going to tell you right now, I want to state it again and again, but I want to say it now to begin with. What you hear me say will be misunderstood very easily. There are going to be some of you that are going to hear, regardless of what I say, that I'm suggesting that God's word says that if you have an abundance, that you're in sin and it's wrong. That is not the teaching of God's word. It is not what I'm saying. I'm telling you, I do not believe that. The reality is we're all people who have very, very, very much. And we have to know how do we deal with that and embrace the concept of simplicity. It really isn't what you think it is. It's something much different. And so with that, I'd like to give you a quote regarding the measurement of simplicity. This is what I will suggest. Simplicity is not measured by the quantity of one's possessions and responsibilities. You hear that? That's not it. But rather by the narrowness of focus as to what really matters. I hope you follow that. That's a lot different than people today that are saying, oh, if you got much, you're in sin. You better give it all away because you're wrong if you do. And then preachers who are saying, and the more you have, the more blessed you are, and the more you get, that shows God's hand of favor is upon you, and you give a little bit, and God's going to give you a whole lot because he wants everybody to prosper. It's not biblical. It's not truth. Either side is great, great error. What we're talking about is a fight against asceticism. Asceticism is going to renounce possessions. But what we're talking about is simplicity. It's putting possessions in a proper perspective. Asceticism is finding contentment in what's called abasement, which uh, uh, basically to be abased means to, to live in a humble means where you just don't have that much. The Apostle Paul shattered the concept that one or the other is really wrong when he says, hey, look, I've learned to be content. Philippians 4, he says, I've learned to be content. Whether abased or abounding, I found contentment. Is this challenging either way? But that's what we try to do, finding contentment. Richard Foster, one of the greats of old, he says this. He says, to attempt to arrange an outward lifestyle of simplicity without an inward reality leads to deadly legalism. He adds to that this. The fact that a person is living without things is no guarantee that he or she is living in simplicity. Very true. Those without can love things the most. It is an attitude of trust. You see, legalism embraces asceticism. I found it interesting that over the last few weeks, uh, we've been observing as a church Lent. First time we've really officially kind of had that as an exposed opportunity to people. And, and you know, it actually encouraged me a bit uh, in some respects that I heard we, we got some emails that didn't come to me personally, and I don't know who they are, but, but that we got a few emails of people very concerned that we as a church are doing something like Lent. And I can tell you those people must have had an experience like I did in my church. My church 
There was no gospel in our church, but there was Lent. I'm telling you, Lent was very important. And you gave up something. And the more pain you experienced, the better it was. God's going to love you a whole lot more if you do something really, really, really hard. And that's the way you thought. No, that's legalism. But it's a whole lot different when you understand grace and you invite something like the Lent concept that's been now in the church for hundreds of years. When you understand, oh, in a, in a theology of grace, what a delight to be able to pick something and say, Lord, this is going to be my way to be able to lose a little to gain a little bit more, to be able to open a new avenue of opportunity to remind me of things I need to remember, all having to do with your grace, nothing having to do with my earning any merit of your favor. A lot of difference between those two. I have a, uh, a definition that I am going to break down as an outline to the message. It's just a, an understanding of, of what simplicity is. I'm going to give you the outline by the statement. I'm going to give you a quick illustration to maybe put it all in perspective. And then we're going to walk through. This is not going to be a text that we have one text as we normally do. And we break down that text in detail. This is going to be selected text. I think virtually all coming out of, depending upon what I use, but, but most of all the texts will come out of the Gospels. Jesus is teaching. And it's bringing to bear upon this subject of simplicity various texts that God has given to us in his word. But here's the, here's the statement. Simplicity is the byproduct of seeking the right things so as to be freed from dangerous things so as to enjoy the best things. Now, some of you have heard years ago, I've used illustration about a couple of dogs that we had when my kids were growing up. And uh, I've been labeled a dog hater ever since, and I'm not. I, we, actually, we actually love dogs, we really do. Carol and I both do, we just do not love having dogs. So <laughs> there is a real distinction there. The people that hate dogs, that's not us, okay? Uh, but we had two that uh, it just didn't seem to cooperate well with our family for whatever reason. They were golden retrievers, and we thought, oh, we picked a, a breed that will be just easy and fun and lovable for kids, and they were all of those things, but they were more. They were a headache, a big, big headache. And here's the reason, because these particular dogs, not like all goldens, but they found ways to get away from our house. And, and we were living on with the church-owned home on the property of our first facility on Spalding, and, and there were acres of pasture land beside the church that were all fenced for the dogs to be able to play in. We thought, wonderful. They'll have plenty of room to play. But these particular two dogs, we didn't have them at the same time, but both uh, found that they could get out. We didn't know where they were getting out. They were digging under a fence somewhere. They were, we don't know how, but they were getting out. And particularly Katie comes to mind because Katie, when she got out, and we were afraid, we had to get rid of them because we were afraid they were going to get killed running across a, a major road by our house. But, but, uh, but Katie, she would bring home an article of clothing, a shoe or a, whatever from the neighborhood. She'd run around and find something and she'd bring it home. I can remember we had a little pile on our porch in our front and people knew to come by our house and just look through what, what we had there because Katie was the culprit. And, and we knew that. Well, Katie would come home holding something in her teeth, and this was game time for her. 
Because we'd say, no, 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 Katie, we got to get that. And so, you know, kids, we would chase her and we would scream at her and we would do it. And she just thought, this is all the more fun. Let's find something else to bring home. That's the way it worked. And then we realized, oh, there is a way to get that from Katie. And you know what it is. We just kept some food nearby. And we'd say, Katie, do you want this to eat? And Katie's eyes would light up. And whatever was in her mouth was not near as appealing. And she'd drop it, she'd come get her food, and we would take the article of clothing. Folks, that's our story right there. We see something that we think is so attractive and so fun and give us an opportunity. We don't understand the damage we're creating in doing it. But we grab it and we'll hold on at any cost until we find something more delightful in our eyes. Then we'll drop it and move along. You just try to be told to drop something with nothing more delightful before you. And you're going to fight forever. If you're having a struggle giving up the things you know God's saying surrender, you just know you've got to turn your heart's attention to the delight of him. Not trying to get rid of what it is that's not good. Let's look at these three very quickly. Uh, first, simplicity. It's the byproduct of seeking the right things. Uh, well, what things? Well, let's go to Matthew. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, I'm going to pull out verse 33, and later I'm going to come back to the context. Uh, so the text has got to be always placed within the context. But here's what it says. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you these things meaning the needs of life whatever they are if they're truly a need you don't have to worry about it you just seek after his kingdom and his righteousness now the word seek there is the idea of continuously seeking it's not seek and stop and seek and stop and seek no it's just that's the way of life we continuously are seeking two things first of all his kingdom well what is his kingdom his kingdom refers to the reign of Christ over his people. That brings his kingdom. Now his kingdom can come in us individually in a much, much more intense manner as we grow in our faith in him. And so he says, now put your focus on that. How does his kingdom, his reign, take more and more control over one's life? But his kingdom represents all the kingdom people that make up that kingdom. And may the kingdom come. And so we seek his kingdom to come in others. So it means, God, let your kingdom come in me more intensely and through me more extensively. So that's the whole teaching there. Seek first his kingdom. And then he says, and seek his righteousness. Righteousness is talking about perfect goodness. Only God has perfect goodness. But we're to seek his perfect goodness in our lives. It means that we are declared perfectly good or righteous by the work of Jesus. But because of a sin nature, we're constantly having to bleed out the sin of our heart and to move away from it. And that's seeking his righteousness in our life, that we live more and more and more righteously every day, even as we're declared perfectly righteous, to move more and more toward that in the way we live life. So he says, there it is. You want to know what to seek in life? Those are the two things you seek, his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, at the end, I'm going to address the question, well, what if you don't want to seek those things? 
knowing how important they are, but it's just not your, your heart. But for right now, just know what it is that we seek. We seek his kingdom and we seek his righteousness. In fact, let me just address it now. I'll just do it now. So what happens? Like many people come to me and say, I heard what you taught, whatever the subject may be. I, and I believe it's the right thing. I believe it's the best thing for me. I believe I should. But right, quite frankly, I don't want to. Right now, the clothing and the shoes and the things that I can put in my mouth seem far more attractive than the food you talk about. What do I do? Oh, I want to want to. I just don't want to. I always give two words of advice. First, plead. Number two, read. Plead with God. Tell your God, God, I don't, I don't want your kingdom and your righteousness. But I believe in my mind, I actually do believe that there's a day of reckoning. I believe you're, you're true in what you say. And I know I'm going to regret it greatly. So God, I just need this. I plead with you, would you change my heart? Would you, would you open my heart to see the attractiveness of the food you have to offer? Would you please just, would you do that? I plead with you to do that. But as you plead, you've got to read. Read the Word of God. Well, why? Because the Word of God says of itself, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It actually cuts and divides the soul of man, meaning it works God's work in us. So I'm meeting with non-Christians day after day, and I meet with them, and I say to them, look, I'll meet with you on this condition. I'll meet with you if you'll read a little bit of God's Word. I direct how to read, what to read, but I say you've got to read a little bit, not much, but a little bit every single day. And I'll meet with them next week, and I'll say, did you read every day? No, I didn't do that too much, just a couple of days, a little bit. And I, and I literally say to them, let's call off our meetings. And when you come to the point that you want to read every day, then let's meet together and let's pick it up where we left off. Because I know good and well that I can't convince him of his need. God's got to do that. And that means he's got to read the Word of God that's going to cut the heart open. And so I'm encouraging you, if you're sitting there saying, I wish, I wish, young people, if you're saying, I wish I wanted the things of God right now, I just see the world, it's so beautiful, it's so attractive, I just want it, want it so badly, then I say, plead with God and read God's word in such a way to say, God, show me, show me your love. See what happens then. Now let's move to the second phrase of this definition we're using. It's now we are to seek the right thing so as to be freed from dangerous things. And notice I did not say evil things. I said dangerous things. This is where we walk a very fine line. When things are not forbidden, then we have to ask, are they wise? Are they wise for me or not? It's learning to let go so that we can get loose. And some of us have been taken captivity by prosperity. Would you agree? I mean, let's face it. I have. I bet none of us can say totally free from the grasp of prosperity. Probably none of us. Some of us, on the other hand, have been very prosperous, but free because of an ability that God has given to, to kind of not hold on. I heard something years ago, wonderful statement. You've heard it probably as well. Whatever you own, eventually what? It's going to own you. Exactly. 
Now, homeowners, they know this, right? <laughs> people who have yards at their home, they know that. Uh, people that are stockholders, they know that. For sure, boat owners know that, right? <laughs> well, Jesus addressed that in Matthew 19. We're going to look in just a second at verses 21 through 26, but leading up to those verses that we'll read, Jesus is approached by somebody who says, hey, what's required to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you've got to keep the commandments. And he said, well, which ones do I keep? And so Jesus gives through the list of them, right through some of the Ten Commandments. You know, well, you can't steal, you can't commit adultery, you can't this, da, 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 you've got to stop the... And he says, hey, from my youth up, I've done those things. I'm in pretty good shape. Is there anything left? And this is where we pick up in verse 21 through 26. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Because we're all prosperous people who own much, relatively speaking to the world. We fit that category. It's possible because of God's power. But what he's saying is this, look, this is the effect of affluence. You look at the things of this earth, you get attracted to them, and you start saying, I gotta get it, I gotta get it, I gotta, what does it take to get it? I gotta get it, I gotta get it, what does it take to get it? When that begins to enter the mindset, at that point, we're taken. We're taken. Not impossible to be spiritual with much, but it is difficult. But again, who's rich? I am. You are. Some more so than others. God never forbids it. He just cautions it. Listen to Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me ask you this. Who outside of me in your life ever challenges you against affluence? I bet there's no one. In fact, what I see in life is that the more you have, the more you're honored. The more you get, the better it is. And oh my, how blessed we use the word because look how much in abundance we have. Everything around us. You got preachers that are saying it over and over and over. They're saying the way it works is you get more, 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 more. It shows God is blessing you more, 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 more. It's all about, can you show the affluence? That's what really counts. That's important. And, and there's, there's no one coming along saying, oh, by the way, let me tell you what Jesus has to say. He says, hey, nothing wrong with it at all. Don't ever think that. But when you start thinking the more the better, you've been had. It's already over. 
you've been had at that point. Don't ever expect the kingdom to come powerfully in your life. If your belief is, the more I can get, the better, the better, the better. At that point, we're wrong. You know, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I had a man enter into my life experience when I was a young college student. You've heard his name, Frank Barker. Frank gave it away, gave it away. This, I mean, I just saw him living such a, a, a sense, and it just things didn't matter to him. He had plenty, I'm sure. I mean, he didn't live a, a life of poverty. But I'll never forget when I came in the ministry, he said, hey, Randy, try to keep your income as low as possible. Always try to keep it as low as possible. Probably 10 years later, I, I remember... I remember some of our leaders coming to me saying, hey, we're call, you're causing salary compression to, to staff that, you know, they appreciate, you know, what you're doing, but it's hurting them because they're making less than you are and it's not, it's not good. And I remember then saying, okay, take the salary to what it needs to be. I'm, I'm fine with whatever you choose to give, but it's going to be a greater challenge now because now I've got to, I got to take that which I didn't have and I have to take it now and determine to give it and give it and give it. If I don't give it, that I'm going to run a risk that I'm not sure I want to, I don't want to be risking it too much. I can remember that just saying thank you for somebody who entered my life and just reminded me what Jesus said, never saying, hey, it's wrong if you make a lot. Hey, it's wrong if, not at all. But he'd say, I'll just tell you this, you're going to avoid a lot of heartache, a lot of challenges. And so I just want to be that voice to you. Not to say that means you need to do anything except to say, Lord, I want to listen to you on this. What do you want from me? That's the only thing. If you go to affluence, and many of you should in big ways, because God will call you there, but go only because you're convinced God called you there. Otherwise, get rid of it. Why? Here's the third point so as to enjoy the best things. You remember the text we started with, Matthew 6, 33. Do you know the context of that? We're going to read it. Look at verse 6, 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you shall eat, what you will drink, for your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? And then you come down to verse 33 and then come to verse 34 right afterwards. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, the whole context is anxiety. Oddly enough, seek after riches, gain anxiety. Nobody loves anxiety. What we're wanting though is can I get more and more and more to take care of my anxiety? And we're feeding the problem. I'm hooked on drugs. Let me get some drugs to get off drugs. No, no, you probably just need to stop drugs. Kierkegaard puts it this way, very humorously. He says, riches and abundance come hypocritically clad in sheep's clothing, pretending to be security against anxieties, and they become then the object of anxiety. They secure a man against anxieties just about as well as a wolf, which is put to tending the sheep, secures them against the wolf. It's, it's just we're, we're actually feeding and fueling a fire that needs to be put out. So simplicity frees us from anxiety. Matthew 6, he talks about it in Luke 12, about greed. It frees us from greed. It's just really what God 
has instructed us, hey, just, just try to keep it where I put you and, 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 and want no more. Want no more. I read um, Arthur Gish, uh, Beyond the Rat Race. He put it like this. I think it's pretty humorous. He says, we buy things we do not want with money we do not have to impress people we do not like. <laughs> a lot of truth to that, isn't it? <laughs> uh, on a little bit deeper note, Fenelon, one of my favorite authors, says, when we are truly in this interior simplicity, our whole appearance is franker, more natural. This true simplicity makes us conscious of a, of a certain openness, gentleness, innocence, gaiety, and serenity, which is charming when we see it near and continually with pure eyes. Oh, how amiable this simplicity is. Who will give it to me? I leave all for this. It is the pearl of the gospel. I remember being in Singapore as a young leader, I was invited to a, 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 a young leaders conference and I was there with a man a few years older than me who, who was an author and uh, just a wonderful godly Christian leader and he told me he was, re he was writing a book at the time on success. And at this time, there had been a lot of books come out from the business perspective about success and its value and how you become more successful. And, and so this publisher had come to him and said, you know, would you write a book from a Christian perspective on success? And uh, so he was doing that. And he was going around the world, literally, and he was engaging with the world's leading business folks who were the wealthiest, most known in the world's eyes successful, but who are also Christians and trying to hear their perspective. So this is a wealthy man, no doubt. Easy for him to say what he said, but nevertheless, it caught me in a big way. My friend asked him, said, you're a department store owner and you have the, the, the world or the Asia's largest department stores. You're the owner. You started here, and now you spread all over Asia. But I'm, I'm interested to see that I've never seen one of these in the Western world. Now, wouldn't you say that, or is it true that you could take these to the Western world and there would be a market there as well as here? You could just expand globally everywhere? He said, oh, no doubt about it. It would go very, quite well. And so my friend said, then why don't you? And I'll never forget he looked right at him and he said, enough is enough. Enough is enough. I don't know what enough is, but I think that's what we have to listen to God and say, what is enough? And when God says, I'm going to have to do something with you, I'm going to have to have you steward a lot. I mean a lot. Then we're going to have to say, oh, okay. If you're a young person in this church and you've come to the getaways that Carol and I have been offering over the last years to three or so times a year to have you just come and let us cast the vision and you take over the, the baton as the next generation continues on. And uh, on the Saturday morning of that getaway, I, I always give a little devotion, and it's a very brief one. But it comes out of one of my favorite texts. You've heard this if you've been in one of those groups. It was out of Proverbs 30. 
Proverbs 30 is the wisdom author, and we don't even know who it is. And, but he is a wisdom author. And he comes to, to verses 7 through 9, and he says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Don't deny me these two things. So if you can ask God two things, what do you ask for? Well, I have my list, and his two things never came on my list. The first thing he says, keep lies and deception far from me. Well, you can see that because lies and deception will erode the foundations of life. Very wise. But then he says this, number two, give me neither poverty, I get that, nor riches. And I hear that and I say, if you can have two requests and one of them don't give me riches. Now I'm constantly thinking money, money, money. And I'll tell you this, I bet everything you've heard me say, you've been thinking about money, haven't you? You know, riches come in a lot of other ways than just money. They come in intellect. They come in physical beauty. They come in ministry prosperity. They come in business success. You think God is saying, okay, here's what you need to do. Make sure you always live in mediocrity. Don't look too attractive. Don't get too bright. Don't study too much. Don't, don't work hard in your profession. You'll make too much money. You'll be too successful. Don't try to do whatever you can to extend the kingdom because you may end up having a big ministry. No, he's not saying that at all. And I learned it a little bit better when we started having children. And when I, I remember I had my first child, our first child was a little boy and I love sports and I didn't want to be one of those guys that said, I want my child to be the best athlete in football and basketball and all this stuff, you know. I thought, how wrong is that? I said, Lord, just making the best athlete in one sport. You pick the sport, I don't even care. <laughs> I just wanted a good athlete. He was a good athlete. But I watched some other little kids. I was doing a little coaching and this, that, and the other. I was with the kids and his sports stuff. And you see those little blue chippers and you say, they got a future somewhere big time. And not that it's true of all, but I certainly will say, I think with so many, you look at them and say, wow, I don't want my child to be like that person. And that little kid, he's got an attitude. He thinks he's something else. And oh gosh, I don't want my kid like that. And then we had little girls and I remember the thought oh to have a little girl I can be walking down the road holding my little finger and everybody turns and says "Ooh, that's the prettiest little girl I think I've seen our two little girls are very cute but but I have to say this they were those beauties and you look at them you go wow and I look at some of those and I'd go oh I don't, I, not true of all of them but I see some Lord I don't want my daughter like that they know they're pretty and they are making it known Oh, God, I don't want my child like that. And I realized, you know what God's saying? Don't fight for mediocrity. I'll choose whether you're rich or poor. But know this, if you want what's the easiest, be neither. But if God says, hey, I'm not going to give you as much and you're going to struggle, know this, I'm going to use those struggles. But it'll be harder. And know this, that you, you may be given a whole lot it could be money, it can be, it can be attractiveness, it can be any of the things. And when you do, if you're wanting it, it will destroy you. If, you. if you want it. I look at pastors and Christian leaders and I say, I think they want to be well known. I think they want to be popular. I think they want to be, I, I, will, I think they want their name to go out. And I go, why would they want that? And here I'm a pastor of a, a well-known church. 
But if you want it and you get it, it will destroy you. And that's true in all of life. God's word is clear. Got to quickly give you these seven because last night I was just to delete them and they don't have the lines filled in and that was a problem for some. So let me just quickly. <laughs> Buy things for their usefulness, never for their status. Usefulness, status. Don't buy anything when you feel you have to have it, but don't necessarily need it. It doesn't say don't buy things you don't need. It says if you think you have to have them, don't buy them. Number three, don't buy anything in the face of an emotional appeal. Meaning, you know, I remember we bought a vacuum cleaner and we were first little apartment. We had to get a vacuum cleaner. We didn't have one. We called people, they went door to door. We called them, said, come to our door. They did. They were, they hit, you know, bingo. We said, yeah, we like it. We want that one. They go, okay, well, let's close it down. They said, no, we don't buy it for three more days. They went, what? So if you come back in three days, we'll buy it unless we call you and change our mind otherwise. Well, three days later, when they came back, the salesman said, never dream for a minute you would buy it. Because if people don't buy in the face of appeal, they typically don't buy. Well, make sure you need it. Number four, don't buy anything that produces or leads to an addiction in you. Number five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Nothing wrong if you own them, but know that you can enjoy things if you don't own them. Six, resist buying anything that will distract you from your primary goals or objectives in life. Number seven, develop the habit of giving things away. I, I know this is sounding like you got a lot, you're a bad person. That is not true. Don't you ever think that. I'm thankful for many of you that do have much. And I watch your hearts and you say, but it doesn't matter. Now, you got a big responsibility, one that's challenging, but God's got you there. Just hold it lightly. And if you're not there, don't waste your life trying to get somewhere that you'd never want to be. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would Allow us not only to know the what of what you say, but the why. The why is because you have done for us what we can't do for ourselves. We don't ask this so that you would love us more. And Father, how, it's through your spirit, and we pray now that we would, by your spirit, find the, the ability and the power beyond willpower to make hard decisions and to become what you want us to be. So grant it, we pray. Thank you for the cross. May we fall more in love with you because we stare at it often. And we give our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.